we'll see in time, maybe it is, who knows, but if it had fallen 642, you would not have probably even remembered the number and you'd have rounded it and said, oh, it fell 650. But if it's 666, it kind of catches your attention, <laughs> knowing that 666 is coming up pretty quickly in our near future. I went through some scriptures last week in finishing up Ezekiel, and uh, there is a, an enigmatic prophecy that we touched on, I think, but I did not fully understand. Uh, so I spent some time in prayer about it this last week and went back over it, and I think I've come to finally actually understand it, or understand it mostly. And I just did not before quite grasp what it meant. I, I, I mean, in an overall sense, yes, I think I did and we did. But in detail uh, is another story. And what I learned from it is an upgrade in our understanding of what is just ahead of us. So I think it's important to go through it. And the prophecy I'm speaking of is Isaiah 7, particularly in 8. Uh, you remember we've been through there where it talks about how Syria and Ephraim had conspired against Judah, uh, and God said that, or Isaiah told from God, that it, not to worry about it because Ephraim would be destroyed within 65 years. And then God gave another sign. Uh, I'll, I'll read it later. I'm just summarizing here briefly. God said, I'll send a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And that soon after that would come the destruction from the Assyrian uh, and so on. The nation would be, would be taken captive. So it's an important one in that sense of knowing that Ephraim, uh, speaking of Ephraim along with the northern tribes, would be destroyed shortly after this prophecy was fulfilled and the sign that had been given was fulfilled. Now, partly where I got a little sidetracked on this some years ago was when it came to our attention that uh, Matthew one twenty three talks about the name Emmanuel, says you call him Yahshua or Joshua, however you want to say it, but they will call his name Emmanuel. And then we go back to Isaiah 7 and 8, and we find in a prophecy of the end times that the name Emmanuel is used in relationship to the church. So I thought that since we had come to a knowledge that Emmanuel was a proper name to call the Christ here at the end time, that it says, before the child knows to refuse evil, and uh, seek the good, that this destruction would come. So I thought, well, we learned about Emmanuel, when was it, 2005 or six, somewhere along there. By the time he was two or three or four years of age, all this would have happened. But then as it got longer and longer, I thought, <clears throat> how can this be? Uh, and I, I wasn't clear. But in going back over it, uh, it occurred, I think God opened it finally, because I think the time is near that 
this prophecy is to be fulfilled. And now is time to actually understand what it's talking about. Now, going back for just a moment, Isaiah, the first three chapters, is an indictment against Judah and Jerusalem uh, and Israel as a whole, and talks about some of our difficulties and our sins and our problems. And then in chapter 4, it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, only let us take be called by your name to take away our reproach. So, <clears throat> seven churches, and that ties in with Revelation 2 and 3. Women are typ typified by churches in the Bible. Would take hold of one man. And in that day shall the branch of the eternal be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So, this is a time when... Uh, disasters occur, problems arise, but some escape, and they will take hold of one man. Now, the term branch is used in Zechariah 3, 2, not 3, 2, but 3 also, where it says that uh, Christ will uh, put forth His branch, uh, the correct bow, the right bow, the branch of God, and signs and wonders will be done, and the eyes of the seven churches will be upon the stone that is put before Joshua. Well, the stone that is put before us is who? has to be Christ. He's the chief foundation stone. The job of Joshua's Rebbebel and the remnant is to build the temple. Well, who's going to be the chief foundation stone of this final temple? Christ, obviously. So he is the one to whom everyone looks when those signs and wonders begin to occur, because man can't do signs and wonders. It has to be Christ doing it. So that will catch the attention of people around the world. They will then come as the faithful remnant to prepare to build the temple. So chapter 4 of Isaiah is talking of that time. Uh, it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy. So these are people of God, holy people. Uh, and when the Eternal shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, the Eternal will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense or uh, a covering, it says in the Hebrew. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. Uh, he will be a wall of fire, he says in Zechariah 2, around his people who dwell in Zion and Jerusalem at that time to protect them. So there will be a defense, a covering, cloud and smoke, uh, be protected from bad weather. He says in Isaiah 51 and another place or two that he will create the conditions of Eden again uh, and make everything good. So, this is speaking of the time that we are now in, that we are moving forward in. He goes on and says that he did good with his vineyard in chapter 5 and then it got all torn down. It wasn't the church torn down. 
and even the fine homes, church homes, the congregations were torn down. Now, that's speaking spiritually. The nation is about to have their mansions knocked down as well, and they will have built, built houses and will not live in them, as it says. So then we get to chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Eternal sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So it's speaking of a time when God is going, or Christ is going to come and fill the temple with his presence. That's mentioned also in uh, Ezekiel 40 through 48, as we read last week, or skipped over real quickly anyway, uh, where he will come and dwell, and his glory will be in the temple that is built here in the end time. Now notice the correlation here between Ezekiel 1 and 6, I think it is, where he showed the portable throne of Christ, the cherubim and so on, and the wheels and the wings and so on. It's mentioned right here in chapter 6 of Isaiah as well, uh, about how they had uh, their wings and how they cried out, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, And the posts of the door in the temple moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, uh, I'm, I'm coming apart here. I'm undone uh, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Well, isn't that where we are in the church today? Uh, we're to separate the clean from the unclean, according to Haggai 2, uh, according to Isaiah 52, and many other scriptures about separating the clean from the unclean. And here, Isaiah is saying, well, I'm unclean and so is his people. So, I can't do anything. Uh, my eye, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, <laughs> in this portable throne, like Ezekiel saw. Same thing. Then one of the cherubims came and cleansed him, took a coal from the altar, and laid it on his mouth, and says, Your sin is taken away. Now, doesn't he tell us that our sin will be removed in one day in Zechariah 3, like a cloud in Isaiah 44? Uh, several other references to our sins being removed or given. So it's speaking of this time. And I heard the voice of the Eternal saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He says, I need a human being here to do something. Well, his lips had been healed. They had been cleansed. So he says, Here I am. Send me. And then Christ said, to Isaiah, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not, like Isaiah 28. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, convert, and be healed. So he's telling Isaiah that they are blind and deaf and dumb. (laughs) They can't see or hear. And that they are to remain that way for a period of time. Now, aren't the Scriptures that we have been reading in all these prophecies indicating that people will not wake up in the church and only a 10% remnant will wake up and come and build the temple? The rest of them, hard of hearing, their eyes are shut, their ears are shut, They can't see or hear or know what's going on. They don't see it at all. Okay? Then said I, Lord, how long? (laughs) That's the same question Habakkuk asked. 
Isaiah wondered, how long are they going to be like this? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Spiritually speaking, that has now happened to the church. It is on the verge of happening in our nation. So, both have to occur. Both the church and the nation. We've seen that over and over. And the Lord have removed men far away, gone into captivity, as Ezekiel 5 says. We'll have first pestilence and famine and pestilence, then the sword, and go into captivity. And there'll be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Well, we've already had a great forsaking in the church, and a great forsaking will happen in the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten. This is something that is worth having. You, somebody brings you some things and you say, I don't eat that. But this tent that comes back is going to be acceptable, edible. And shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, strong, whose substance is in them, and when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So, the holy seed, the disciples of Christ, the true disciples, will be the seed for all of this. And what does the seed do? It grows over time. So there will be a small group, a tenth will return, and it will grow from there. Ultimately, through the millennium, once it happens to the nation as a whole. Now that's the background I wanted to lay here before getting to seven, is that the destruction of the church has occurred, that God is about ready to do something about it, and that a remnant will soon return. Now, that's the context and the setting for chapter 7. All right? So then it goes here and says, It came to pass in the days of Ahaz... Uh, that the king of Syria and Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So it says, Ephraim, the northern ten tribes, and Syria had made a confederacy to destroy Judah. And we need to understand here a little bit about what's going on. Who is Syria here? Now, I thought, is that talking about the Syria and the Middle East now? So, I looked it up, and the word there is not Syria in the Hebrew. It's Aram, A-R-A-A-M. And the Bible dictionary says that those were Semitic people from Shem. Maybe not Syrians as we know Syrians today at all. Now, Aram is from the Arameans, or from whence came the Aramaic language. Daniel is quoted, was used, used the uh, Aramaic language some in writing Daniel, and Christ and the disciples apparently spoke Aramaic. And there are several quotes in the New Testament where Christ used Aramaic, and it may have been his common language. So where he was born was near Jerusalem, and it was inhabited by Semitic people 
from Aram or Aramea or Aramaic. Now, I want to study that some more. I didn't have time to get into it really, but it apparently is not speaking of Syria and the Middle East as we know it today. Uh, the the uh, Bible dictionaries and the commentaries mention that the Arameans fought with the Israelites some. They weren't Israelites, but they were of Shem. So, some kind of a pact was made between the northern tribes and the Arameans, who were right there near Jerusalem, to go up against Judah and destroy it. Now, Isaiah was told to go to Ahaz, and that they were to have a meeting, and he was to tell him to fear not, don't be faint-hearted in verse 4. And then he says, because this pact between the northern tribes and Syria uh, would not be a problem, and I'm summarizing here. Let's go to verse 8. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. If you will not believe it, into verse 9, surely you shall not be established, or it says you are not stable. Now, I'd never thought of this until this morning. But since we have a dual prophecy throughout all the prophecies between the church and then the physical nation, I decided to apply that 65 years to the worldwide church of God. And it came up with some interesting numbers. Whether you use 1927, uh, when Herbert Armstrong, or, or you could even use 1926, when he first began to have an inkling in 27 when he explored and came to understand more. Take that period from 1927 up till 1933 when the Radio Church of God was actually incorporated in that span of time. Add 65 years to it and see what you come up with. 1993 to 1998. Now the church was primarily established and built where? In Ephraim. Partly Manasseh, partly other of the tribes, but primarily Ephraim. And when was that church destroyed? Did it not be a people or a nation or a church anymore? Between 1993 and 1998? Within 65 years, it was gone. Back into Protestantism, on its legs in Babylon, as Zechariah 5 says. So if it's applied even just to the church here, this has happened. Done. Now, if you apply it to the nation, and we will, let's see what else we come up with. The number there is a little hazy, 1927 to 33. When would God have started? But now we can look back and see that really by 1996, the church was pretty much done. All the other big groups had started and it had gone to the wind. So I think that fits very well and is a minor fulfillment of the prophecy or the first fulfillment of it. Now, the commentaries say 
that more has been written about chapter 7 of Isaiah than almost any prophecy, if not more than any, because they cannot seem to understand it. And they can't find the historical date back then when Isaiah wrote, 65 years from that time, they couldn't find anything that fulfilled this. It's just not there in history. So they scratched their heads and wondered, what in the world does this mean? And they haven't projected to the end time because Isaiah all the way through says latter days. It's an end time prophecy. Now we already understand more to this point today than they understand at all. But this had a reference first to the church, spiritual Ephraim, spiritual Judah. Ephraim, where the church began, was destroyed by them. Ephraim as a nation will be shortly again. Now, let's go in here. Moreover, the eternal, verse 10, spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask you a sign of the eternal your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Any, you know, whatever, wherever you want this sign to show, down in the ocean or up in the heavens, wherever, ask a sign of God. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the eternal. And he said, Hear you now, house of David, speaking to Ahaz the king, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Now, there are several things in the Scripture about asking for a sign. God said an adulterous generation seeks a sign. And yet, on the other hand, God said, I will give you a sign, just ask me what you want it to be. Hezekiah asked for a sign, and the sundial went backward. So, if we do not have enough faith in the Word of God, it's because we are not stable and we won't be established as it says up here. So, if we, out of lack of faith, ask for a sign because we don't trust God, then that can be a problem. Now, if God tells us to ask for a sign... That is His instruction, and we better do it. Because He said do it. Didn't Solomon go through a lot of things? There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to build, a time to destroy. There's a time to ask for a sign, and there's a time not to. Depending on the circumstances and God's instruction. So, he got in trouble. He says, are you going to weary men? Are you also going to weary God because you won't do what I ask you to do and ask for a sign? But God knew that a sign was important is the reason that He pushed it and said, never mind you, you're making me weary. I'll give you a sign anyway. Therefore, this must be a very, very important sign for God to override Ahab and go ahead and give one anyway when he was frustrated with Ahab. Ahaz, not Ahab. Okay, verse 14. Therefore the Eternal Himself shall give you a sign. So we've we've got this sign of the 65 years up here, which might be a little unclear. The scholars can't figure it out. 
There's no clear-cut time that we can look at. And even speaking of the church in general that was built in Ephraim, we still don't know whether you start at 27 or 33, and it's this vague time period, but the church was destroyed during that amount of time. So it's still a little hazy. And if you apply it to the nation, it might even be a little hazier because I've looked through the significant events from 1952 through 56 or 7, and it's hard to pinpoint anything there that might be referring to this. The only thing found, someone suggested, was the start of the Bilderbergers who have in mind to destroy Ephraim as part of their... uh, their job is to get America gone so the New World Order can come in. So, uh, I think I was told, or I thought at least, that that was in 1953. Now, this could be important. I looked it up again, and they had their first actual meeting in 1954, not 53. So, instead of 2018, that moves it back to maybe 2019, that 65 years is complete, if that's the start point. And I can't find anything else significant that would indicate that somebody or someone has made a pact to destroy Ephraim, but the Bilderbergers certainly have. So 1954 might be the start date. That way, 65 years then would be sometime in 2019. Well, that's pushing it off a year from 2018 that I originally had thought. But we'll see that that fits better. It fits better. All right. God will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So substitute that and shall call his name God with us. Now let's stop there and explore this again for a moment and understand that we are in the process of giving birth. We right now are in that process. Several, I'm going to refer quickly to a few scriptures. Isaiah 26, let's flip over there. Uh, Beginning 13. O Lord our God, other lords besides you have had dominion over us, but by you only will we make mention of your name. Now, uh, let's go to verse 16. Lord, in trouble have they visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. Now, has the chastening been upon us, spewed out, and so on? Yes, it has as a church. Then the analogy is used. Your chastening was upon them like as a woman with child that draws near the time of her delivery is in pain and cries out in her pangs, So have we been in your sight, O Eternal. He says, this is the condition we find ourselves in. This is the imagery. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. Tried to push the baby out and pass gas instead. So that's the best we've been able to do. That's not a baby. (laughs) We have been with child, we have been in pain, 
brought forth wind, we have not worked any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So we're right here in the time that we're expecting the inhabitants of the world to fall in the end time, but we've not been able to bring anything forth like a woman in travail would bring forth a child. So he uses that analogy and that metaphor to describe the church today. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they arise, awake and seeing you that dwell in dust, laying down in the dust, being walked on. That imagery is used in Isaiah 52 as well, come to think, where he says, rise up, sit up, and shake the bands of Babylon off yourself. That may have some meaning for us right here. We have been walked on by some of our neighbors. Is it time to sit up, to wake up, and break their band from off our neck? Come, my people, enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Eternal comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquities. Coming here. He tells us in uh, Zechariah 2 that when we flee from the country of the north, from Babylon, and come to Zion, he says, I will come and dwell with you. So he's leaving his place in the sides of the north and coming to dwell with his end-time church as it builds the temple. And at the same time, once he starts, he's going to go ahead and punish the inhabitants of the earth for iniquity, and so on. In that day, verse chapter 27, the eternal with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish, and goes on and talks about slaying the dragon in the sea, and so on and so forth. So it's talking about the end times very clearly, and him coming to a people who are trying to give birth. Birth to what? Well, that's laid out for us in chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah. We're to bring forth Christ. Didn't Paul say, Christ in us, the hope of salvation? Christ living in us, His Spirit dwelling with us. He says He will come and actually dwell with us, not, not be in His Father's side, but come dwell with us and be a wall of fire around us. We'll see some more specific instruction as we go along here. Uh, Isaiah 37, verse 3. They said to him, uh, Thus says Ezekiel, The day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Now, Hezekiah was a type of Herbert Armstrong. And we were there preparing to give birth to Christ all those years. And even during that time, we had come hoping for the birth of Christ in us, and there's no strength to bring forth. Sardis never did really bring forth Christ in the way that he is going to come forth and dwell with us in Zion just never happened. So there's a footnote of our recent history. Uh, 
Isaiah 54, verse 1. Now, this is a very important area right here because it tells us to wake up and put on our beautiful garments in chapter 52. Uh, and no more will the uncircumcised and unclean come to us. Up till this point, they have. Okay? Shake yourself from the dust. We just read about dwelling in the dust at the time of birth. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Get up off the ground. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And how we'll be redeemed without money and so on. And the Assyrian has, will come and oppress us without cause. Uh, that's also mentioned in Isaiah 9, 10, 11. Now, at a time when the watchmen lift up the voice and see eye to eye, God will turn Zion around. Okay? It, in verse 8. And it says, To break forth into joy, you who are being redeemed. Um, let's see. Then we go after the Passover chapter 53, chapter 54. Seeing O barren that did not bear, the one that couldn't bring forth anything but wind, or couldn't didn't have the strength to birth. Now he says, <coughs> you have the strength to do so. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Eternal. Enlarge your tent. Prepare for more people. Don't be afraid. Verse 5, the make, your Maker is your husband. He's your Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel. Verse 6, for the Eternal has called you as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when you are refused, says the Eternal. He says you've been kind of straining at this and not getting anywhere. Now, here it says that you won't have any pain. When the deliverance comes, it will be painless for us. We are gathered to build God's temple, or will be by that time, and the birth will be easy because we've been striving to get close to God, to get close to Christ, to worship Him with our whole heart. And that is a strain, and it's hard, and it's hard to bring that forth. But he says... I'm going to make it easier on you. He says at the end of this, this chapter, their righteousness is of me, says the Eternal. They're not striving with their self-righteousness. They're not striving to be righteous. They will have my righteousness. I'll be with them. Verse 7, it says, For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you, in a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Eternal, your Redeemer. So, He is going to show mercy, and He is going to bring His remnant and show mercy on them. But He again says it's like bringing forth a birth. It's just painless at that point. Uh, chapter 66, verse 5. I'm going over this fairly rapidly. Um, oh, I'm in 65. That won't work. 66 verse 5. Hear the word of the Eternal, you that tremble at His word. Who would that be? Fear of the Eternal is the beginning of wisdom. Those who have wised up, 
and tremble at God's word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, anything familiar sounding in there, said, let the eternal be glorified. He's with us. He's on our side. But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple. Jerusalem, the temple, the church. A voice of the eternal that renders recompense to his enemies. (coughs) Before she prevailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who's the man-child? Christ. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Yeah. Christ said, I'll forgive you in one day. Your sins will go away as a cloud. Or shall a nation be born at once, all of a sudden? For as soon as Zion travails, she brought forth her children. Not just a child here, but he says it will have many children there in Isaiah 54. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Eternal? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says your God? No. He says, this is going to happen. And right at the end, I'm going to make it painless for you. Rejoice you with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you that mourn for her. And he continues the analogy, that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that you may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. So, let's go to one more. And this one is unmistakable in Micah 4. Micah 4. Micah 4 in verse 1 says, But in the last days it shall come to pass. So, he's talking about now. We're in the last days. I think that's been pretty well established that the mountain of the house of the eternal shall be exalted in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. So the temple in Jerusalem are going to be built by people who flow there to do that job in the last days. This isn't talking about a millennial temple. This is talking about now. There's no temple in the millennium anyway because when the great white throne appears at the beginning of the millennium, there is no temple because the Father and the Son are the temple of it. So this is talking about the temple that's being built, Ezekiel 40 through 48, here in the end days. And people will come, and the law will go forth out of Zion and the word of the eternal from Jerusalem, be preaching the truth from there to the world. Anyway, every man will sit under his vine and fig tree, verse 4. Only other place that mentions where? Zechariah 3, last verse. Where when God begins to do signs and wonders, everyone will have prosperity. And that's the time that this is talking about. Now let's go down. In that day, verse 6, says the Eternal, will I assemble her that halts, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. Doesn't he say that the lame will walk, and the deaf will hear, and the blind shall see, and will all be given deer legs? Habakkuk said that of himself there at the end, just before Zephaniah, where it says to gather. Paul speaking of that same time. 
And I will make her that halted, or was crippled, a remnant. The church has been crippled, has it not? And a small remnant will come, 10%. We just read in Isaiah 6. And her that was cast far off, a strong people. And the Eternal shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. So He's going to come and dwell with her. And that will never be interrupted again. He's there until the first resurrection where He goes up and comes down in the clouds. And then she's forever with Him. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto you shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall go, come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So he says to spiritual Israel, to the remnant here at the end, the kingdom will first come. Not to Israel in the millennium, it will come first as a macrocosm of the millennium with Christ there, Visible or invisible, it doesn't say. Now it says, Now why do you cry out aloud? Is there no king in you? Is your counselor perished? Herbert Armstrong died, and the church fell apart. <clears throat> now notice, For pangs have taken you as a woman in travail. So after our king is dead, those who are faithful, those who are striving to bring forth Christ, are pictured here as a woman in travail. Be in pain <laughs> and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. It's hard to bring forth Christ. You have to work at it. You have to push. Now, he says right at the end, it will be painless. Once we have turned to Him and brought forth Christ in our lives, then it's easy sailing from then on. Now, what does he say? For now, at a time of travail, when we're still trying to bring forth, for now, at that time, shall you go forth out of the city, you shall dwell in the field, and you shall go even to Babylon, not out of it, to Chile or the Philippines or somewhere. There shall you be delivered. There the Eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And then people will gather against you, and he says he's going to tell us to arise and thresh O Zion, and then we'll become strong, and the next chapter says it will drive the Assyrian out. That has to be after the gathering, I think, because right now we're down to four men here at headquarters, and seven or eight men that are required in uh, chapter 6 or chapter 5 to drive the Assyrian out aren't even here. So we have to gather before the Assyrian comes against us. Then you go out, as Gideon did, and send them in craziness to kill themselves. That's what it indicates is going to happen there without going back into it at the moment. So we are at that time of travail, trying to bring forth and having trouble at this point still. Now let's go back to Isaiah 5. I mean 7. Here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us. Now, we can say very easily God with us when this happens. When he forgives our sins in one day, as Zechariah 3 says, when he comes to dwell with us in Zion. I'm going to flip back there right quick to Zechariah 2. 
Um, verse 6. Here he says he'll be a wall of fire around us and a covering like we read earlier in Isaiah. And then he says, flee from the land of the north, from the Babylonians, says eternal, like we just read in Micah 4. For I have spread you abroad, scattered the church as the four winds of the heaven. Then he says, deliver yourself, Zion, that dwells with the daughter of Babylon. Didn't we just read we're to come out of Babylon, go out into the wilderness, even in Babylon? Uh, one translation here, I think it's RSV, says, Flee to Zion, you that dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, After the glory has he sent me to the nations which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. For I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me. Then he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come... And I will dwell in the midst of you, and many peoples will come in that day. And the Eternal shall inherit Judah, his portion. What's his portion? Ten percent, the tithe. Ten percent of the church in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Jerusalem is desolate now, but it will be chosen again, just as it says in Zechariah 12, built in her own place. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Eternal, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. He's coming to go to work, coming to dwell with us. And this whole context is about Joshua's Zerubbabel and the remnant of the church, okay? So now back to Isaiah 7. Call Him God with us. He's come to dwell with us. Then it says, Butter and honey shall He eat, that He may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. I looked this up, and uh, it says it's not really butter in the commentaries, but kind of curdled milk, uh, because that's what milk does, begins to curdle. We throw it out because it's off, we say, but people like sour cream, and they like sour milk in the right form. But butter and honey, and it says that one of the, the first thing that you give a baby as a solid is honey. Back then, I don't know what people do. They give them pablum today, but used to be honey. That he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, this also is used shortly hereafter in this very same chapter. Uh, I'll skip a little ahead and show you that. God is going to bring upon us, verse 17, days that have not come since Ephraim departed from Judah and the, the tribes were split. The king of Assyria is coming. And the Egyptian and the Assyrian will be all over the land like bees. And they'll be like all over the trees. Everywhere you look, there will be Assyrians and Egyptians. We will be overrun by these armies. Uh, verse 21, And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give, he shall eat butter for butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. Now, that almost sounds like prosperity, just stopping there. But it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines and a thousand silverlings, little slivers. It shall even be for briars and thorns. So no more cultivated land and vineyards, but briars and thorns. With arrows and with bows shall men come there. That's to destroy. 
because all the land shall become briars and thorns. The Midwest will not be producing wheat and corn. It will be producing briars and thorns. It's already happened spiritually in the church. <clears throat> and, all, and on all hills that shall be digged with a mattock, there shall not come there the fear... Come thither the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle. In other words, everything is going to be destroyed by the Assyrian and the Egyptian, and the only way to survive then is to have a cow and a that you might quit being evil and learn what's good. So he takes everything we've had in this country away. And the only thing we can find to eat is that which is good, milk and honey. So, in the analogy of Emmanuel coming, what's his purpose? To teach the church the difference between clean and unclean, evil from the good, and ultimately, once the Assyrian comes on the land, to teach all Israel the difference between good and evil. So butter and honey is used here about him because he's the one that knows the difference between good and evil. And he is bringing this destruction to teach us to choose good and quit living in an evil way. Now he's teaching the church and will teach it even more so to do that and then he will teach physical Israel that. Now, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, not when he does, but before he does. He's not old enough yet to know good from evil. The land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. Which land do we abhor today? Now, we love America. We love the nation that we grew up in. But we abhor what this nation has become. From Washington, which is very, very sick right now, he says, from the head to the tail, sickness everywhere. I've come to abhor our culture and our society and what it does to you and me. So within 65 years from the time that this child is brought forth, the land of Ephraim will be forsaken of both her kings. Does that mean our president and vice president are going underground? I mean, six feet underground. Very possible. He's going to bring the Assyrian and the Egyptian to destroy this land. Now, how do we time this? From the time will ye learn that Emmanuel is a good name to call Christ here in the end? No. We time it from when he comes forth among us. We time it from when he comes forth among us. When is that? When do the two witnesses see eye to eye Isaiah 52, 7 and 8? when God turns His face to us and blesses us. When He forgives our sins in one day and brings signs and wonders, Zechariah 3. When the cloud of our sins vanishes, Isaiah 54. Poof! Gone. What day of the year represents that the most? 
Passover. When do the former and latter rains come? First month, Joel 2. When the young and old, men and women, all flesh in the church, in the place that he has prepared, the remnant, will dream dreams, and so on. So it's talking about the time when we actually bring forth Christ and we can sing with joy because the remnant starts to come, Isaiah 54. So the time to date this prophecy from is from the time that Christ shows himself to us painlessly by forgiving our sins and turning his face to us. He says he'll only turn it away for a short moment, as we just read in Isaiah 54. He'll turn it back to us, and we will live in the light of his face and his blessings with signs and wonders from the time that we bring forth Emmanuel. The striving, the being in birth, the straining, the pangs will go away. We just read it in Micah 4. He says, be in pain and bring forth. Well, that's what we're trying to do is bring forth Christ in our lives. And he says, the time will come, Jeremiah 31 or 34, wherever it is, that when we have sought him with our whole heart, we will find him. So this is the time we find him that this is talking about. It's the day that he forgives our sins and starts doing signs and wonders and healing us. Now Habakkuk sat on his watch and said, I'll wait until he does it, when I will again have hind's legs. I'll be able to walk and run. What comes right after that? Zephaniah 1 and the crash. The gathering has to be just before the crash. So we are waiting for Christ to do these things right now. And we're getting very close to it, I believe. Now, if the prophecy was fulfilled in the church from 1927 to 33 and from 93 to 98, when the church was destroyed, then the time of the nation being destroyed is also very near. Stock market fell 666 Friday. Uh, who knows when this is going to happen? But, here is what is important for us to understand. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Last week I talked about us fleeing uh, and getting away from Babylon some, because it tells us that in the last verse of uh, Ezekiel 39, before it starts talking about the temple being built. That's the context. Okay? Let me, let me read that one more time. Ezekiel 39, last verse. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. than what he just said in uh, Isaiah 54? I'll turn my face back to them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the eternal God. Joel says in the first month, he will pour out His Spirit upon His people and they will dream dreams. So that tells us when He's going to pour out His Spirit. Then what's next? Chapter 40, building the temple. So 
this is going to happen just prior to the building of the temple. Now, let's see when we have to actually escape. When you've got to be out of Babylon and these things can happen. All right, let's go. I just quoted Zephaniah. Let's go there. Here again, Habakkuk is the chapter beforehand where he says, I'm, I'm going to sit patiently and wait, and the just shall live by faith. Which is where we are right now. We've got to believe in faith that these things are true and that they will happen. All right. Uh, here in Zephaniah, then, he talks about how he is going to destroy this land and get the idols all out of it. Then he talks about a great crashing in verse 10, and he goes on to explain that the merchants are cut down and the silver's cut off, uh, and those that have been living on their lees, resting on their oars, thinking, boy, we are great, uh, They'll build houses, verse 13, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near. So, this prophecy very clearly is right here at the end time. It's a day of wrath and trouble and distress, and so on. Day of the trumpet. It says their silver or gold won't be able to deliver them, verse 18. Now, go to chapter 2. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable people. Who has been undesirable to God? Us. If something's undesirable, you spew it out of your mouth. <laughs> and that's what he did with us. So he says, You who have been undesirable, gather yourselves. Before the decree bring forth, before the day pass, as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Eternal come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. So he says, you who have been out of favor with me and are now going to come into favor, and I will turn my face back to you, flee before this decree of financial destruction occurs. So the gathering has to come before the collapse. Now we've been looking to wonder, when is this collapse coming? And we watch all the signs and we think, boy, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And the stock market just dropped 666. No. The gathering hasn't occurred and he says that it has to be done before the destruction of the financial system occurs. So we have some time. This destruction will not come before the gathering. Get that? Didn't it say before he knows good from evil, once he comes and dwells with us and we get ready to build the temple, gather yourselves before that happens. So, the forgiveness and the gathering and the blessing and the healings, the signs and wonders, are what bring the gathering, right? 
because people will look up and say, there's where Christ is working, I'm going there. So if they're going to gather, that means the signs and wonders have to come in order to gather them, and they're supposed to gather before the financial collapse. So don't expect the financial collapse to occur until God has started gathering His people. He hasn't started yet. I mean, He set out a little prep crew, but He hasn't started gathering the remnant yet. Nowhere by any means a tenth of the church. Now let's drive this point home. Jeremiah 50. We've been here many times, but let's look at it from this new standpoint that the gathering has to occur ahead of the financial collapse. And here in Jeremiah 50, we'll find out something else that has to come before. I hadn't looked at it quite this way before. I thought you had to have soldiers with a bayonet right up your behind uh, to get out in time. But let's see what it actually says here. Again, last verse of 49 says it'll be in the latter days that he's talking about all this. Uh, chapter 50, the word that the Eternal spoke against Babylon, declare you among the nations and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. Who is the signal, who is the signet that is set up? Haggai 2, Zerubbabel. Says, I'll set you as a signet before the nations. So, Zerubbabel will be on the scene. He's not yet. And say, Babylon is taken. So, that signet is going to say Babylon is about to fall. So, the signet will be here. Zerubbabel began the foundation of the church. He says, your hands will finish it, Zechariah 4. So, he has to be here before Babylon is taken and publish that Babylon is about to be taken. For out of the north there comes a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. So he says, this is about to come upon you, and Zerubbabel is the signet that says it. In those days, verse 4, and in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping Weeping with joy here that they know where to go finally. Where is the place of safety? It's at Zion. They shall go and seek the eternal their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that way, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. We already said today that Christ would be with us forevermore. And now they've been lost sheep and so on. He says in verse 8, We move out of the midst of Babylon, as Micah 4 says, and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. What does the he-goat do? He leads the flock where they're supposed to go. So here he's saying, not only before the financial crash do you gather, here before the Assyrian actually comes, you head for Zion and ask, how do I get there? So it's not just as they are pushing you, but it's before they invade that you have this window of opportunity. You can still travel. You can still get there. There isn't martial law yet, so you can't travel. You have time to get there, okay? Ahead of the northern army. 
So ahead of the financial crash and ahead of the army. What does Revelation 18 say? He says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. You have to get out before the plagues come. Ezekiel says the nation will go through famine and pestilence, that's plagues, and the sword, next, and then captivity. Come out before the plagues come. The plagues will come after the financial collapse and nobody can be trucked food and water. Disease will break out. The nation will be on its knees and then invaded. So he says, come out even before the financial crash and come out before you're invaded. So repeats it in Revelation 18. Now, let's put a clincher on this in Isaiah 52. Here again, he's telling us to sit up and quit being walked on and that the two, one will come and tell about it, but the two will see eye to eye uh, at the time when God turns his face back to us, when we've produced Christ when he will call us the redeemed ones. That's in verses 7 and 8 and 9. Now, let's go on down and pick up another point here. Verse 10. The Eternal has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of the nations. Who's his holy arm? The right branch. The branch that he reveals in Zechariah 3. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So it's the beginning of time when they're beginning to see God turn things around in a way that leads to salvation. Hasn't happened yet on this earth. Then he says, Depart you, repeats it, Depart you, go you out from there, from the destruction of Babylon. Touch no unclean thing. So, here again, no good from evil. Know the clean from the unclean. Don't touch anything unclean. Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. He wants... Righteousness, holiness, the white garments he talks about in verse 1. Now, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight as a scared bird. For the Eternal will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, I've noticed a long time ago in priesthood that this flight is not in haste. Now, Matthew 24, when the abomination is set up, you're to go in absolute haste. Don't even go back. This is speaking of a different time when we are to get out of the middle of Babylon. Don't touch the unclean thing. What did it say in Revelation 18? That you be not partakers of her sins, her uncleanness, and get out before the plagues come. Here he says, it is not in great haste. There will be time and I will guard you so that you can get there safely, says God. Then it talks about the Passover and then it talks about all the people coming and we have to have a bigger tent and stretch the cords because we're going to break forth and He's going to replace the children we've lost with far more children than we ever had. The gathering. The 10% remnant. Now, is it ironic that it's at Passover time, chapter 53? I don't think so. Why is that chapter interjected in there 
out of context, seemingly. Because the turnaround appears to come at Passover time. Former and latter rains come, and he pours out his spirit in the first month, Joel 2. So the time that he forgives and begins to bless is apparently in the first month. Now, if the first month, let's say Passover time, let's, let's just speculate that if it's this year, that He forgives our sins, comes to dwell with us, and begins to heal us, and pour out His Spirit. And young and old, men and women, will dream dreams. God's Spirit will be there. We've read all these Scriptures so far today. Let's say it's this year. Now, I'm not predicting it necessarily, but let's just say it is. And He shows up, and we begin to be healed. Well, then... A 10% remnant will begin to gather. And there has to be time for them to get here before the financial crash and the invasion occur. Now let's go back to Isaiah 7. I'm going to go a little over time. I'll tell you ahead of time. So just deal with it. It still won't be more than an hour and a half. All right, back to Isaiah 7:16. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose good, the land that you have forsaken, abhor, this nation, will be forsaken of both her kings, Ephraim. It's the whole thing here about Ephraim being destroyed in 65 years. The Lord shall bring up on you and upon your people the Assyrian, and he'll come in, and I've already read how they'll be like bees on the land, and there won't be anything left but a few cattle and sheep or goats. Let's go to chapter 8 then. Because he continues this sign of a child being born, okay? The Eternal said to me, Take you a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. That means uh, spoil soon, pray come quickly, or make haste to the spoil, is what that name means in Hebrew. And I took to me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerichiah, Jeberichiah. Is that the Zechariah that wrote the book of Zechariah? Let me look back there just a moment. That just hit me. Zechariah 1. The word of the Eternal came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. <laughs> I think that's very interesting because the book of Zechariah is tied in directly right here by that very name. So, I went into the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Eternal to me, so she conceived, and then the child was born. And at the time the child was born, God said to him again, so it wasn't from the time of the conception that you count, but from the time of the birth. She bore a son, and then he said, Remember, call him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Spoiled, spoiled, soon come quickly, make haste the prey. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, 
the riches of Syria, Damascus, spoil of Samaria, shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So he says this destruction of Ephraim within the 65 years will happen from the time a child is born before that child can say daddy and mommy. I looked that up on the internet. And most kids can say daddy and mommy or baby or hi by 12 months. The span is generally on average from 11 to 14 months. But it says most can utter one words like that by 12 months. Most have done it. So he's talking about less than a year. Not when he can say it from 11 to 14 months, but before he can say it, this country will be taken away by the king of Assyria. So he mentions Christ being brought forth by this virgin, and before he knows good from evil, but he nails it down even more by giving an additional sign through Isaiah. And when that baby was born, he says it's going to be before a year transpires that this nation will be destroyed. Okay, let's put this together then. From the time he turns his face to us and gives us the former and latter rain and forgives our sin in the first month, Passover time, the time when our sins are forgiven every year in memoriam. You will have, from the time that that is brought forth, the amount of time, almost, that it takes for a child to say mommy or daddy. Less than a year. So if God begins to bless us this spring with signs and wonders, dreams, giving us the former and latter rains in the first month, all these scriptures put together, turns his face to us, in that sense we have produced Christ, God with us, because he will come and dwell with us, he said, Zechariah 2. If that happens, this Passover, then we have less than a year until the financial collapse and the invasion. So there's a period of time in there for the remnant of the church, 10%, to become aware of what God is doing and to get here before a child born at that time can say dada or mama. Could be six months, seven, eight months, nine, maybe, maybe ten months, not more than eleven months. Or maybe not as much as 11 months. So if it happens in April, end of April, this year's Passover, we would have less than a year until the collapse occurs and then that will be followed then by the invasion. Now we could be having worsening conditions in our nation, even civil war, Uh, all kinds of turmoil that is now beginning to happen in Washington, D.C., where they're getting serious about this thing right now. It's going to get worse and worse. But it appears to me, from putting all these scriptures together, 
that the gathering has to come ahead of the crash, ahead of the invasion, and then there's a period of time in there before that happens that people have a chance to respond and come. Now that fits. We needed that time. Isaiah 52 says, Come, but it's not a time where they're prodding you with a bayonet. You don't have to make haste. I'll be your guard behind you. Come to Zion. So that changes the way I look at things. Now I say, I'm not worried about a financial crash. I'm not worried about an EMP attack. I'm not worried about North Korea. I'm not worried about the Assyrian. Until sometime after, God blesses and gathers His remnant. Once He does that, then all these forces can be unleashed. He says, come out beforehand. Don't be a partaker in her plagues, sins and plagues. Get out of there ahead of it. Don't come with haste, but come. And I'll protect you as you do it. So yeah, things will get worse from now until that period of time. But we can't start counting. The clock doesn't start on Isaiah 7 until Christ is brought forth, dwells with us, and heals us. So pray for that and look for that. Look to get close to God. And he tells us that here in Isaiah 8, if you go on down. It says, the Assyrians coming, but God is with us. Emmanuel, verse 10. It says God is with us, not Emmanuel there, but it's the same word. And don't worry about the conspiracy, for I'm with you. And he says, verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. That's the church. And I will wait upon the eternal, that's what Habakkuk said, that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. We're to be seeking him and looking for him at the time this conspiracy to destroy this nation is going on. We've been worrying too much about the destruction and the conspiracy and not enough about getting close to God and serving Him so that we can escape it. Behold, I and the children whom the Eternal has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Eternal of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. He says He's going to come and dwell with us in Zechariah. He says there will be signs and wonders done among us in Zechariah 3. And He says it right here, that the children who are given to us are for signs and wonders. Two places in the prophecies that's talked about. And one of them dates it during the time of Joshua and Zerubbabel. Just as we're waiting for the Assyrian to come and destroy us and waiting for the financial collapse. We've all been looking for the finances to collapse knowing it's coming. We've all been looking, wondering how the invasion will occur and when will the Assyrian come and destroy this nation. And it's okay to watch that but don't make that the big thing that we do. He says, don't do that. Don't worry about that. Draw near to me. 
for you were there for signs and wonders. Verse 20, don't, don't look to the familiar spirits and all these things that peep and mutter. Don't read on the internet all these people, these Protestants and their dreams and all that stuff. Don't even go there. Come to me. Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They don't know when it's coming. As of today, you and I know when it is coming. It is coming from the time a baby is born, when Christ comes to dwell with us, says dwell with us here, and our attention is to be on Him, excuse me, not worrying about the conspiracy to destroy us. But worrying about that. Be concerned about bringing forth Christ in us. Be in pain and be delivered. Seek God. Don't worry about the conspiracy. Christ is going to come and dwell with us and bless us before the conspiracy hits. Before the financial crash. Gather ahead of it. Before the, the uh, invasion. Go to Zion ahead of it. Before the plagues come on our nation. Depart from her, my people. So the blessings have to come first. Then we have somewhere like six to ten months before all this comes down. We've been fretting ourselves unduly. We didn't need to be fretting over it. If this is a correct explanation of this, and I think that it is, all these other scriptures come together to say, from the time you are blessed and healed, there will be some months for my people to gather, then the collapse will come, and then the invasion will come. So don't relax. Don't come to that conclusion. Relax about worrying about the conspiracy. Don't relax about getting close to Christ and pushing to bring forth the man-child. There is our focus. That is what is important for us to be doing. I'm going to read less about it now on the Internet, and I'm going to read in this book more and see Christ more and worry less about what is coming because now I know that it will be sometime after God gathers His people and blesses them and heals them. Then trouble will come before a child can know Daddy and Mommy from the time that we're blessed and forgiven and healed.